0: now your daily dose of debate breaking news and uncensored views this is the Michael Medved show
1: and another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth a great day despite the fact uh, that there is great unfinished business business about picking up finding locating uh, and arresting and hopefully punishing a vicious gunman in Maine who uh, seems to have disappeared. Is he on a boat somewhere? He apparently owned a boat, and that boat is no longer where it was originally. Has he picked up another car, or has he hiked into the woods? Nobody knows. But we do know that the shooting in Maine, with its 18 uh, dead bodies, constitutes one of the worst of the 500 Yeah, that's right, 500 estimated mass shootings in 2023. That's 566, Uh, this uh, according to the New York Post and MSNBC and other sources. Uh, We will get to that and the political implications. Of course, there is a much more significant for the world uh, confrontation going on in the Middle East. Uh, U.S. fighter jets, our jets. Not the jets of our ally Israel, but the American fighter jets launched airstrikes early today on two locations in eastern Syria that are linked to Iran's Revolutionary Guard Corps, the Pentagon said, in retaliation for a slew of drone and missile attacks against U.S. bases and personnel. There are U.S. personnel Uh, among the several thousand who are stationed in Syria and in Iraq who were injured, some of them fairly seriously, by these Iranian attacks. Uh, That began early last week. The strikes reflect the Biden administration's determination to maintain a delicate balance. The U.S. wants to hit Iranian-backed groups suspected of targeting the U.S. as strongly as possible to deter future aggression possibly fueled by israel's war against hamas while also working to avoid inflaming the region and provoking a wider conflict uh the uh, spokesperson for the AD, idf the israel defense forces says that israel is increasing its ground operation in gaza which had already begun as of last night Uh, The uh, IDF has also uh, announced that it has eliminated three senior Hamas operatives. Uh, It uh, has uh, published their pictures. Ibrahim Jadba, who was a battalion deputy commander, Rifat Abbas, who was a battalion commander for Hamas, and Tariq Marouf, who was a combat support commander. Uh, These are people who uh, no longer exist uh, as living beings. Uh, Their spirit continues to hover over the confrontation. Uh, There's an important piece by Peggy Noonan that will be published tomorrow, which uh, actually talks about uh, Israel attempting to penetrate the fog of war to get out uh, honest and complete uh, images of what the other side is doing. The question is, what's next? And we will be talking to Stephen Erlanger. Uh, He's actually based in Berlin, but he has written for the New York Times several important pieces about uh, what, Happens to Gaza, even assuming that Israel achieves its announced goal for this particular war Which is not to reoccupy Gaza. The Israelis don't want to do that uh, What they want to do is to eliminate Hamas and the threat of Hamas Then there is also the threat on US campuses where UCLA protesters have been accused of chanting uh that uh, we want Jewish genocide, uh, did they really chant that? We'll play it for you, and you can gather. Uh, they may have been chanting, Israel, Israel, you can't hide. We caught you in genocide. Uh, this going on at UCLA, uh, which is, of course, the major university in the second largest Jewish community in the United States. There are more Jews in L.A., than any other metropolitan area other than New York. Uh, Meanwhile, in that other large uh, metropolitan area, uh, Columbia University, uh, uh, a major donor to Columbia is cutting off his support because he says that students and faculty participating in anti-Israel protests at this time of rising anti-Semitism have beep. For brains. Uh, We will get to that on the Michael Medved show. And the uh, new speaker of the House of Representatives, uh, the Honorable Mike Johnson, has uh, said that he will be finding the cuts in order to fund the $14 billion aid package to Israel uh, that uh, President Biden has asked for. And uh, the Mike Johnson also told a reporter that, yes, he, he would favor a new funding package for Ukraine, which is very good news for the Republicans in the House, uh, for the United States, and for people around the world who do not want to see the success of tyranny and uh, uh, murderous excesses, which is certainly true of the Putin uh, invasion of Iraq, which is a, a genuine war crime. Uh, there are also fears that are worth describing um, concerning a uh, all the Iran-backed militias uniting from around the Middle East for a coordinated attack in multiple directions against the state of Israel. Uh, What happens with that? We'll be speaking with Daniel Pletka of the American Enterprise Institute about the terrorist funding of Iran and what uh, the United States can do to try to head off some of that funding, let alone to to stop uh, authorizing it and practicing that funding. Uh, And uh, we will also be speaking to Rich Lowry, who has written an amusing and maybe insightful commentary about the Republicans in the House, even under their new leadership, which has soothed uh, a lot of the tensions in the house of representatives with uh, speaker mike johnson but uh, uh, rich lowry of national review asks uh, a very interesting questions do republicans really want to be in charge do they prefer having this narrow minority uh, or would they like to have a more commanding majority in the house of representatives And by the way, there are two candidates uh, who are seeking re-election, everyone assumed, on the Democratic side, who are pulling out of the House, uh, helping what is uh, likely to be a very close election again. Uh, We will come back with Stephen Erlanger uh, of The New York Times, who is the chief diplomatic correspondent in Europe for The Times. Its position he's held since 2017 he's based in Berlin he writes a a significant question on a significant question the question is okay we know what Israel's goal is in the war in terms of the short term it is to eliminate Hamas but uh, who will govern Gaza if they are successful in that noble and worthy goal. Uh, We will get to that with uh, Stephen Erlanger of the New York Times coming up right here on the Michael Medved Show.
0: 1-800-955-1776.
1: Israel says it will destroy Hamas. Uh, But who will govern Gaza? Uh, That's the question in the headline of a piece from earlier this week by Stephen Erlanger, who is the chief diplomatic correspondent in Europe for the New York Times. It's a position he assumed in 2017. Before that, he was a bureau chief in uh, Israel for the New York Times. That's some years ago. He, um, uh, He writes about... What next, assuming even a success in the military mission by uh, the IDF? Uh, Stephen Erlanger, uh, do, what you make very clear in your column is there, there is no Israeli intention to reoccupy or to take uh, command or control of the space of Gaza. Is that right?
0: Yes, that is right. I mean, that's their intention. They left uh, Israel pulled out unilaterally in 2005 without negotiating with the Palestinians, basically dumped the keys into the streets, and we saw now how that's worked out. But Israel has no interest in coming back to Gaza, no interest in reoccupying it. But if it is going to dismantle Hamas, Hamas's military and its political uh, power in Gaza, it's going to have to go in for weeks and weeks, I believe, Um, and if not reoccupy it, then certainly seize control of it um, before leaving. Then the question becomes, what does it do with it?
1: Well, this also raises questions about the impact on the Israeli economy, on daily life in Israel. Three hundred sixty thousand, um, mostly young men, have been called up uh, from reserves, and I was speaking to my brother in Jerusalem. Uh, it's a uh, it's a very hard thing. It's a hard thing, obviously, for families. It's also very devastating in its economic import. So no one in Israel seems to want a long-term mission Uh, they want to achieve the job of dismantling the Hamas ability to repeat the kind of nightmarish strike that Israel experienced on October 7th and then there's even talk about the UN getting involved or Macron was in uh, Jerusalem recently and he suggested a multilateral force in which for apparently France would be willing to participate. Do you think there's any possibility of cooperating with international organizations and other countries in that kind of multinational uh, uh, peacekeeping operation? There
0: are a lot of possibilities. In 2014, which was the last time I covered a war inside Gaza, which was pretty awful, but nothing compared to what's going on now. There was a lot of talk and plans drawn up and ideas about how to remake Gaza and hand it over to a revived Palestinian Authority. Um, it involved. Um, there's a UN organization called UNSO, which is the Truth Supervision Organization, which actually has a legal mandate still for Gaza, though it, it left in 96 after the Oslo Accords. And some people think, oh, well, we'll make Gaza sort of UN, you know, stepchild, sort of the way Kosovo was after the war and have. All kinds of international peacekeepers. I think they'd have to be Western. I don't think any Arab country would be willing to peacekeep Palestinians. But it still doesn't answer the question, what do you do with Gaza? Who rules Gaza? Gaza is an orphan. Egyptians don't want Gaza. Unwar Sadat refused to take Gaza back. The Jordanians certainly don't want Gaza the Israelis don't want Gaza, so who's going to take? Well, the Gaza. Palestinian Authority can doesn't the Palestinians want Gaza? do it? Yeah. Well, I mean, yes, but they were dri- they were driven out in 2007 when they tried to when they actually broke a deal with uh, with Hamas and the Palestinian Authority is very is much weakened since then, partly by Israeli policy, and Mahmoud Abbas, who runs it. It um, hasn't had an, an election in a very long time and um, is very unpopular. So if the Palestinian Authority comes back to Gaza on the back of, of an Israeli tank, I think it's not going to work very well.
1: Uh, so, again, looking at this from the outside, uh, there's a piece in The Times today about some of the internal debate Within the Israeli government, which now is a something of a unity government Uh, The that internal debate is about whether to go forward with the ground mission at all And if they do so what its specific goals should be Uh, Should not That uh, ideally when they begin that mission uh, should they not have a very clear goal? enunciated for the world and being one that uh, obviously the world could accept in terms of dismantling the uh, Hamas machinery of death.
0: Well, the, the military has a pretty clear goal, which has been defined for it, which was to dismantle Hamas, Hamas's military, kill Hamas soldiers and the people responsible for killing 1,400 Israelis inside Israel, not in settlements. Um, and the political, you know, there's political division in Israel always, but it's been particularly uh, stark in the last nine months. Um, Benjamin Netanyahu, know, the prime minister, is not very popular and is much less popular now because of what's happened on October 7th. And so he's created this kind of unity government, which basically is to run the war. Um, and yeah, I mean, There are divisions about where and how, but in fact, Israel's already gone into Gaza. They've been going in on the ground with raids for days now, and tonight even they've cut off communications inside Gaza, and they're hammering it very hard. And they've increased their ground incursions. People who expect, like, the charge of the Light Brigade don't really understand how this war is going to be fought. My guess is the Israelis will go in and out. They're trying to save hostages. They're trying to fuel out the mass defenses. Um, I'm not sure, you know, you're going to have hundreds of thousands of troops pouring over the border in some big dawn raid.
1: The uh, you mentioned the hostages. Uh, you you will recall that uh, early in this process, there had been a Hamas announcement that they would uh, execute some of the hostages and broadcast those images of those executions, which I'm sure would be nightmarish and brutal and torturous. Uh, what what happened to that? So
0: far, nothing. I'm glad to say um, they have released a few very few older hostages. They released an American mother and daughter. I think they're trying to prolong all of this. Um they have at least two hundred and twenty hostages. I think So we will we will see the we will
1: see the results. Uh Stephen Erlanger of the New York Times appreciate your time. We will be right back with more on the Michael Methad show. On the Michael Medved Show, uh, there's a photograph that is uh, circulating on the Internet, uh, which uh, I just saw. It's a striking photograph. It's of a a bookstore uh, in Turkey, and I do not read Turkish, but they have a sign in front of the bookstore in English. And uh, it says very simply, Jews... Not allowed. And one of the captions with which this photograph has been circulated is, this is not Germany of 1938. This is Turkey of 2023. One of our NATO allies, actually. And uh, we actually have uh, some audio, do we? Of the... uh Oh, well... (laughs) The owner of the bookstore, uh, honest to goodness, looks like uh, Charlie Chaplin playing Adolf Hitler. Uh, I mean, little guy with a, uh, with a nice mustache and uh, uh, basically your, your Hitlerian grooming. Uh, the uh, article that goes along with it is the Jewish community in Turkey has raised concerns about rising anti-Semitism amid the ongoing conflict between Israel and the Hamas terrorist group. Uh, This, by the way, is, is very important, the way that that is worded. This is an ongoing conflict not between Israel and the Palestinians. It is between Israel and the Hamas terrorist group, which does not represent the Palestinians who live in elsewhere in the world, including in the West Bank. Carol uh, Valanci, a columnist for the Turkish-Jewish newspaper Salom uh, and the T24 news website, uh, says that the Jews are increasingly being associated with Israeli policies. What we see from the rhetoric of politicians, the press, and the social media is this, in the perception Jews are completely removed from the position of citizens of the Republic of Turkey and turned into ambassadors and extensions of the state of Israel and the anger against that state is directed toward Turkish Jews uh, Valanci said. There still is a Jewish community in Turkey. It is one of the very few Islamic countries in which a, uh, a Jewish community has survived at all. There used to be, of course, major communities in Iran, in Iraq, in Morocco, where there, are, there also are still synagogues that are open in Morocco. T- Turkey had a uh, terrorist attack on one of the synagogues there a couple of years ago. Uh, so the idea of the anti-Semitism coming out, no Jews allowed, in a bookstore... Uh, that, uh, that may not be a complete surprise. Uh, meanwhile, uh, I got a, a terrific email this morning, and okay, I'm prejudiced because the email came from my son, and uh, Daniel Medved uh, writes, and I'll just read it verbatim because it's a tremendously important point, He says, just a thought this morning regarding the ongoing horrifying events in the Middle East. In any conversation about the matter, I feel it's very important to highlight that Israel is not at war with Palestine or with the Palestinian people. We are at war with Hamas, an openly terrorist organization responsible for atrocities I won't enumerate here because we all know and we all have been horrified by them already. When someone attempts to associate the events of October 7th with a broader conflict in the Middle East, they are thereby choosing Hamas as the designated representative for the Palestinian people. I don't think that that is fair or supportive of their goals. One can argue that Israel should negotiate and cooperate with Palestine to a certain extent, but how could any nation negotiate or cooperate with an openly terrorist entity like Hamas. And it is an entity that in its very charter that was uh, established 1987, quite a long time ago, that uh, entity that Hamas is uh, dedicated, its first goal is the destruction of Israel and the elimination of Israel, which they don't even call Israel, they simply call the Zionist entity. Meanwhile, Peggy Noonan has a piece that will appear tomorrow in the Wall Street Journal. And she says in that piece, this is about describing and showing and making things clear. In the fog of war, these things are never more essential. This week, she writes, we learned about the actions of Hamas. We learned it in large part because it wasn't enough that the terrorists did it. They had to memorialize it. Some of them wore body cameras and took cell phone videos. The Israel Defense Forces compiled a video record, which also included footage from Israeli security cameras and dash cams, and it showed it at a military base near Tel Aviv. Hundreds of journalists came. They were asked not to reproduce the 43-minute video, but were free to describe what they saw. Graham Wood wrote in The Atlantic, Men, women, and children are shot, blown up, hunted, tortured, burned, and generally murdered in any horrible manner you could predict, and some that you might not. A man and his young sons are in their pajamas. A terrorist throws a grenade into their hiding place, and the father is killed. The boys are covered in blood, and one appears to have lost an eye. They go to their kitchen and cry for their mother. One of the boys howls, Why am I alive? And Daddy, Daddy... One says, I think we're going to die. The terrorist who killed their father comes in, and while they weep, he raids their refrigerator. An IDF spokesman at the screening was unable to say whether the boys survived. A terrorist uses a phone to call his family in Gaza. My brother Jonathan mentioned this when he was uh, on our air. A terrorist uses a phone to call his family back in Gaza. I killed ten Jews with my own bare hands, he tells his father. Put on, Mom, your son is a hero. He tells them to open WhatsApp to see his pictures. Andrew Neal of The Spectator wrote on social media, other footage shows IDF soldiers beheaded with their lifeless corpses left splayed in the streets. The BBC noted the stark detail of the sheer horror. Hamas gunmen cheered with joy as they shot unarmed civilians on the road. There was an attempt to decapitate someone who appeared to be still alive, using a garden hoe. Uh, The New York Times described a litany of images. An emergency medical worker pouring mineral water from a bottle to douse the smoldering remains of charred bodies that had been burned alive. Brutalized young women, one of them naked, Victims are seen gagged. Faces are frozen in shock and agony. Women's bones are broken, their legs twisted in impossible angles. It goes on. But it's important as background for a remarkable exchange that occurred on the BBC, where the Middle East correspondent Hugo Bachega didn't pull his punches when asking uh, a spokesman for Hamas in Gaza Uh, called Ghazi Hamad about the earlier attack uh, earlier this month. Uh, Listen. Uh, This will be coming up. We will play it for you as soon as we come back from the break. But what's remarkable is this political spokesman for Hamas, Ghazi Hamad, uh, claims that there was no deadly attack Uh, this is all you can link it to is it's like Holocaust denial Uh, because this just happened and the evidence is overwhelming and horrifying we will get to the idea of October 7th denial coming up on the medved show
0: your outlet for outrage the Michael Medved show one eight hundred nine five five seventeen seventy six. The Michael
2: Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved
1: Show, uh, I was. Telling you a little bit about this interchange that is dramatic and and needs to be listened to closely because uh, there's a Middle East correspondent who actually does a good job for the BBC, and the BBC has been very problematic in its coverage of the struggle in the Middle East. And one of the things that happened was that they ended up uh, actually... Announcing a change in policy they had during the first two weeks with the struggle going on they had described uh, Hamas as militants and uh, There had been a very big push Politically in the United Kingdom to have the BBC use the more accurate term, which is terrorists and uh, There are other terms that can be more specific, but terrorists will do Uh, They're not just militants so now they are described as terrorists and you actually have a middle east correspondent uh hugo bachega uh the it's it's really a remarkable interchange because he is talking to ghazi hamad who is a spokesperson for hamas you can imagine that would be a kind of a tough job in public relations right now, but here is what the uh, what the interchange sounds like on the British Broadcasting Corporation.
2: It was a military operation. It was directed for military purposes, for the military sites. The hundreds of uh, civilians were killed. Sorry, and for the military soldiers who imposed sanctions and collective punishment against our people. And I think from the first moment we declared that this operation is not, was not directed to the civilians. But I can confirm and assure again and again that there was no command no command to kill any civilians. You say this was a military operation, but the result of it was that hundreds yes, of civilians so that, were killed. Because the area is very wide and there are many people there and there was clashes and confrontation. It's no, not confrontation, no, I don't you invaded I don't houses. have details what happened inside but I, I can't tell you that we didn't have any intention or decision to call the civilians how do you justify killing people as they sleep you know families how do you justify I, I want, I, I want to stop this uh, interview. In... I want to stop this interview I want to stop this interview,
1: I want to stop this interview. Uh, and that was before he was asked about the two hundred and sixty bodies that were found, some of them horribly mutilated and tortured, uh, 260 bodies from the music festival alone, which they invaded with, uh, with hang gliders and then started shooting, yes, using uh, uh, automatic weapons. Uh, I mean, 260, uh, mostly young people, who had come out for a music festival celebrating peace? Uh, this is uh, an an unbelievable thing. the The one thing that I you can say about it is this attempt, this bold attempt, to try to say no, no, no. We we didn't uh, have any orders to kill civilians. We weren't killing civilians. Uh, This is why that showing of that 43-minute video that the uh, Israeli Defense Forces showed is so important because this is very similar to Holocaust denial. In other words, the Holocaust itself is horrible enough and the level Of torture and and cruelty and yes, including killing very young children and babies and doing medical experiments and the rest of this Nazi house of horrors, it's bad enough that that happened, and the world did nothing. Did nothing, but uh, what is worse is that there are people around walking around today who say no, no, it, it never happened when they're are films and uh, and and the best documented major crime in all of human history is the Holocaust and the idea is that among themselves uh, Germans didn't deny it and here far from denying it some of the quote uh, Hamas, warriors uh, who killed old ladies and babies and mutilated them, bragged about it. They took their own footage, which was used. Uh, the, uh, Peggy Noonan, in this piece about piercing the fog of war with truth, she writes a couple of paragraphs that are very important. She writes, I end with the observation that we are seeing a fairly stark generational divide over all that's happening. Speaking generally, if you are middle-aged or older, chances are good you feel some sympathy for and old loyalty toward Israel. The young are more prone to antipathy toward Israel, sometimes accompanied by rage, sometimes by almost violent accusations against the colonialist oppressor state. At the bottom of today's progressive politics, there is blood lust. They speak of justice and equity, but that's not what they want. They want dominance. It's all about the will to power. Progressive students have absorbed the idea that it's good to be militant in your views. It shows you're authentic. No, it shows you got the left-wing talking points. I was with a more peaceable group, writes Peggy Noonan, the other night at the Al Smith Dinner, the big annual bipartisan dinner of the Catholic Archdiocese of New York. One of the speakers, Mary uh, Erdos, told the audience that anti-Semitism appears to be on the rise and our friends need to know who's with them. There was an envelope at each plate at this Catholic dinner, she said. And if you open it, you'll find a blue lapel button. Wearing it is meant to show identification and affiliation with our brothers and sisters. Suddenly, at that madly noisy dinner, all you could hear was one sound. Envelopes being torn open and the sight of buttons being affixed. It was a great moment of making it clear and uh, that was also true in the Congress of the United States where they voted to approve a resolution with only 10 negative votes a resolution supporting Israel in this existential trouble struggle of good versus evil Uh, who is at the very heart of that struggle on the side of evil it is the Islamic Republic of Iran And uh, Daniel Pletka of uh, the American Enterprise Institute is going to be joining us coming up to talk about the terrorist financing that goes through Iran. And uh, there's also the story of the UCLA protesters who were chanting uh, either we caught you in genocide or we want Jewish genocide, both uh, fairly horrible and the demands, which are remarkable, which we will get to, from the pro-Palestinian student organization at Stanford University, that uh, is considerably worse and even more bizarre than what you had at Harvard with those 30 organizations. As undergraduate and graduate students at Stanford, we demand, and demand in all exclamation points and uh, capital letters, As you'd have in a uh, a Donald Trump posting on uh, social media. Number one, Stanford must issue an explicit condemnation of Israel's war crimes and calls for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza. Uh, Number two, calling for Israel and Egypt to allow humanitarian aid into Gaza. Number four, calling on other universities and academic institutions to join Stanford in speaking out for justice. And um, they uh, also uh, insist that there should be no more purchase of Israeli products. Stanford provides dedicated resources for Palestinian and Palestinian diaspora students on campus. That Stanford establishes an investigative committee to correct the directives faculty and research initiatives contributing to the subjugation of the Palestinian people uh... how is stanford going to respond to something like this and that would be very instructive to follow we will cover this story and much more with daniel Pletka on the importance of iran at the center of so much of this evil uh, and evil intent toward this greatest nation on God's green earth.